Good afternoon everyone, my name is Martin and this is Beautiful Minds. My guest today is the one and only Perry Nicholson. Perry, you're an insta-famous chiropractor and you travel around the world delivering world-class seminars about the importance of our movements and how they impact our central nervous system. Your main form of social media communication is Instagram and your page Stop Chasing Pain reaches over 100,000 people on a daily basis through which you deliver highly positive and educational messages about our health and immune system in modern society. Perry, I can't wait to talk to you about those things, but first of all, I'd like to welcome you to the city that I have the pleasure of calling home. How are you finding London? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, well, I love coming to London. It's one of my favorite places to go. I've, I try to teach here about two or three times a year. It's hard to believe it's been about four years when I gave my first workshop here. Four and, years, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe it's been that long uh, that, that I've been teaching and traveling the world and doing workshops, which I'm very blessed to do. And uh, also, yeah, it's pretty exciting, man. I, I got to cross over 100,000 followers on Instagram, which is pretty damn cool, I must say. I mean, How I, did that it, feel? It felt really great. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I never really look at numbers on things because it's just, you know, you can have 10 people that follow you, but if they're really passionate and they love what they do, and those 10 people can change the world, right? It, it's not really about the numbers that are there. I've always thought it's about the the passion and the heart and the community behind whatever numbers that yeah you i definitely get the feeling that you're a community person and that you yeah. are really trying to spread a strong message out there and you can tell well, that by some of the followers i mean some of them are also high account numbers and you know i think they're spreading the words that you've come up with and that you've created the content the shareability is really high well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I really think that um, a sense of community is a huge part of healing when people have chronic pain or autoimmune disease because everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to be accepted and part of a community. It's a human being nature. And when you feel alone, uh, I think it's virtually impossible to heal when you're alone i mean we're designed to be with other people we're social creatures we're we're pack animals like wolves in a way and when you have a community I mean, you're always stronger and then when you when you have chronic pain or autoimmune it's very easy to feel alone or isolated especially if people don't understand what you're going through or if you have people that don't give you any kind of hope or answers, you, you kind of withdraw in, into your own world and it becomes a type of quicksand. So very often the people that I work with, if you just sit down and really listen to them from the heart, uh, and that makes a huge difference. Countless people tell me that I just felt better when somebody actually really listened to what I was saying and didn't think I was just out of my mind. <laughs> it was yeah. all, in, all in my head, which, you know, if something doesn't show up on uh, a standard medical test, they think that everything is okay with you. And that's the furthest thing from the truth because they miss a lot of things. But, and that's uh, happened time and time again in your experience. 
It happens all the time because I usually have people that find me that are not suffering an acute injury where something just happens to them. It's usually a chronic injury that they've been dealing with for months, if not years. And they've had every kind of test you can possibly think of to look for issues. And either one, they come back and say they can't find anything on a test, which means that they don't understand from a medical standpoint, they don't have an answer for why they're suffering. But then the person is like, yeah, but why do I feel so bad? (laughs) So there's there's obviously something there. It's usually just missing like some kind of relationship with how the body, all the body systems work together. Or they may do a test and they'll usually do a test on the area where the pain is located. And we know from our current studies in pain science that the extent of damage to a certain body structure or tissue does not equate to the level of pain that somebody should feel. Because a lot of people have really horrific looking tests, but they don't feel any pain at all. Yeah. And there's some people who have nothing on a test and then they're in excruciating pain so it's it's something that medicine is like i really just don't quite understand they're starting to come around to it when they when they understand how the brain and emotions and things like that work together in relationship to chronic pain but also very often the cause of somebody's underlying pain is located nowhere near the site of pain so that's yeah. what stop chasing that's what stop chasing pain means it means treat pain but if you treat the site of pain and it doesn't get better, or if it gets better and doesn't stay better, well, then you need to look at something else or something deeper that's going on. And then that's where I think in medicine today that we're really lacking. Well, yeah, that's very powerful. And I definitely want to come on to that relationship between pain and healing later on. I just want to go mm-hmm. first through your background and, I think a lot of people don't appreciate, obviously you put a lot of work into your online platform, into your Instagram, into your um, sociability, but then going offline, the amount of work you do, and I'm sure that's where it all started offline. Um, So Mm -hmm. let's talk a bit about your background and how things started and how you came to where you are today. Sure. Well, thank you for asking. Well, I mean, it's been a hell of a journey, right? Most of it's been wrought with a ton of suffering and uh, not really having any idea about what I wanted to do in life. I mean, I just turned 53 years old on wow. Halloween recently. And you uh, a 25 year old. <laughs> yeah, you know what it feels like that way, honestly. And people ask me, how do, you, how do you have that much energy and how do you keep going? And I say, you know what? I was lost for most of my life, not really knowing what I wanted to do, struggling with what I was doing and then regretting a lot of stuff that I did choose to do, but I didn't want to just settle anymore. And so when you are lost for a significant portion of your life and what you want to do, and I know there's many people listening that are feeling the same because I see it all the time, that when I found my purpose, my calling, which was uh, first of all, looking at movement, but then also helping people in, in chronic pain, figure out why they don't have it. Uh, you know, I've got 20, I got 30 some odd years to make up for. <laughs> it's, it's like somebody just found out what they want to do in life. It's just starting for me. So my journey began later in life when I was in my 20s. I became a chiropractor after hurting my lower back multiple times. How did you hurt it? 
Uh, bodybuilding. I was a hardcore meathead and I would do deadlifts and squats and hurt my back and just, you know, keep hurting it. And one time it didn't go away. Like we always say, yeah, my training yeah. partner said, yeah, you need to go see my chiropractor. I'm like, Cairo who? And, uh, <laughs> He, this guy gave me like three treatments and I could walk again. And I was like, this is pretty cool stuff. But I didn't wow. think of becoming one until like two years later when um, uh, I decided that uh, I just didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. I was not happy. I was about ready to get married. I'm like, man, I got I to gotta think of something different to do. And I said, hell, you know, maybe I can be a chiropractor. And I asked my chiropractor and he said, absolutely, you can, man. You can do whatever you want. And so I decided, okay, that then and there, I just quit work, moved back home with, with the parents, went back to school, got on my sciences, because I originally went to school to study law. And okay, so, uh, so you were a lawyer? No, I didn't become one. I was oh. on my track to become one. Okay. And uh, I hated that. And then I um, got out and worked in corporate America for a little while. Mm. But then that's when I decided I didn't want to do that either. And then um, I went to the, decided to go to chiropractic school. And wow. then four and a half years later, but... I also didn't like doing that either after I became one because it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be or I didn't like the way that I was practicing it. And it was just seeing people treat, which is kind of standard treatment in the industry, even today, because this is back in 1997, I've been practicing for about 25 years, um, that, you know, you see people three times a week for a month, then you go two times a week for a month, then you go to one time a week for a month, and then you go, every two weeks, every month, and you're on maintenance. And I'm like, you know, the body's way more efficient at getting better than that. Like, we're gotta be missing something here. I didn't wanna just treat the side of pain. It was like mostly low back and, you know, power was great, but it was just not what I was looking for. And yeah. I was damn, I was damn near close to quitting, man. I just, my heart wasn't in it. and your heart's got to be in whatever you do, right? I mean, there's some chiropractors that love it more than anything else and they're great at it, but it's just that I, it wasn't for me. And I was this close to quitting. And then I came across this book talking about uh, movement and it was by my dearest friend and my mentor, my greatest mentor, Gray Cook, who's a physical therapist back in the United States. And it was the original version in the book of what they are now call the functional movement screen or the FMS. And what they would do is they would put you through seven standard movements to look at how well you can move. And he had a really novel idea in there. What they was that? Go they go after and they treat the area of the, what they call the non-painful dysfunction. So they treated where it doesn't hurt too. So they treat where it hurts, but they went to treat in areas that didn't have pain, but they had restriction in joint range of motion, or they had restriction in stability in an area away from the site of pain. So a classic example would be my lower back hurts. Yeah. And then in the chiropractic world, you would adjust your lower back or your pelvis. But now we know that, well, if the hip joints which is the top of your two legs, yep. don't move well, <clears throat> then you lose motion in your hips, which means your brain will make your lower back move more to compensate. And then it might cause pain in your lower back. 
And then if you go above the lower back, you have what's called your thoracic spine, which is pretty much the middle of your back. And if that doesn't move well, then your lower back also has to move more. So the idea was maybe just maybe that the lower back hurts more because it's doing all of the work for the other areas that are not doing enough but don't hurt. And then you end up chasing pain. And I said, that's a great name. <laughs> you know, stop chasing pain. You treat it, but you have to look at how the whole body system and systems, not just the musculoskeletal one, that's muscle and joint, uh, work together. So that was like, the, when I saw that, I'm like, you know what? It makes this like a fun puzzle to put together. Like, it wasn't about treating pain. It was about being a detective to, like I always say now, to think like an engineer. And an engineer yeah. always wants, an engineer always wants to know how things work together. Like, don't show me parts. I need to see how all the parts can work together because that's what engineers do. So Suddenly, I don't even think of myself. Everything clicked. Everything clicked. And I'm like, this is what I've been looking for, man. Bam. And then my freight train started right then and there. Wow. So suddenly everything was reframed, your whole profession. What you were suddenly inspired by when you injured your lower back, went to the chiropractor and they healed you, suddenly you were inspired. But then when you actually started practicing the profession, that inspiration dwindled almost. It wasn't what you were hoping it was going to be. That satisfying and highly rewarding feeling of healing someone wasn't there. And now suddenly, even today, I think this is very revolutionary stuff. It's, um, you know, targeting an area that you were not complaining about. You know, the person isn't saying that part of my body's hurting, but that's the area that's causing the pain. Um, and I think even today, people like Jeff Cavalier, they talk about the exercise and repetition, repetitive training of movements as opposed to muscles alone. And, you know, right. I think it's, even yeah. today, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's looking at the the big picture because it, it was it was for me it was not only about cheating an area and helping it get better and feel a little bit better because honestly that ain't really hard to do. You I saw mean, the you body. Can, you, most of the time, you can make pain disappear for a while. Yeah. And there's been studies to say if you just do nothing, it'll usually go away on its own anyway, with like the lower back. But I was always wanting to figure out, okay, well, we have all these treatments that we can help pain uh, in an area go away for a little while, but why does it always keep coming back? That was my, that's what I've always been looking for. There's got to be a reason, because the body is not supposed to be in pain all the damn time. We're not supposed to be falling apart. We're not supposed to have all these autoimmune diseases and rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and uh, Crohn's disease and all this kind of crap that we just get uh, accustomed to. It's common, but it's not normal. You're supposed to have energy. You're supposed to have joy. You're supposed to have vitality. You're supposed to break yourself down. That's what life is. You're supposed to be able to heal yourself back up. Absolutely. And if you can't heal yourself back up, that means you're missing some fundamental basic ingredients that the body needs in order to be able to do that. And my mission has been able to try to figure that out. And to figure that out, that means you can't just focus on one system of the body. You have to look at how all of them relate to each other. 
And then medicine doesn't do that because medicine breaks systems down into specialities. So I got a heart guy, you know, I got a gastrointestinal guy, I got a spine guy, I got a knee guy, I got a hip guy, I got a shoulder guy. I mean, that nobody freaking talks to each other in relationship to uh, working together as a system. So yeah. the internal body and, I, and that world has nothing to do with the external body or your right shoulder has nothing to do with your left shoulder. So that we're so disconnected from looking at our body as a whole and we're disconnected and being able to listen to what our body is telling us because of all this outside noise that we, that we have. So that's why movement can be so fantastic, but you know, repetitious movement can be dangerous too. If you keep doing the same thing over and over, you know, you're going to have micro trauma. You're going to wear yourself out and your body has to adapt to this outside stressor. That's always the same. And the more you do one thing, the worse you're going to get at a lot of other ones. So for me, movement is more about what I call the three V's variation, variability, and variety. I want you to move differently, not better, because I don't, I think if you can move differently, you're automatically better, if that makes sense, because yeah. then you become much more resilient at being able to handle whatever comes your way at any point in life, because your, your nervous system and your muscles and everything get used to so many different things and it can deal with it. I mean, if you only do one thing, you get in this small comfort zone that you're in. And if you step outside of that comfort zone because you haven't explored movement, it's much easier for you to get hurt. I see. Where, where does that leave the athletes nowadays who continuously well, athletes train are a more hot and more? Mess. They're a hot mess. I you see. ever see a healthy athlete? There's no such thing. They're always so, injured, so. Yeah, yeah, and you know, sometimes, listen, sometimes that's part of being an athlete because if you want to re get really good at what you're doing, you have to do repetition, right? Yeah. But part of being a great athlete is not just doing your sport. So you have sport-specific training where yeah. I have to get really good at my position. Mm. But what that means also is you have to devote quality time to doing things that are not in any relationship whatsoever to your uh, sport that you're in, but also enhance movement. So let me give you an example. Sure. I don't care what kind of athlete you are. If you can climb trees or you can get down on the ground and you can do movement on the ground and do things that humans are designed to do, but they don't normally do, that yeah. will make you much more resilient than the person who just does uh, deadlifts all the time, right? Or squats all the time. And it's not just about doing the 10,000 repetitions that you need to ingrain it in your nervous system. It's doing about all those other things as well. Because if, if you can climb a tree, and you do that on a regular basis, for instance. It doesn't have to be a tree. You can go to a rock wall gym, for goodness sakes. I don't care. I just want you to climb. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see some astounding changes in your body because when you climb something, you use everything. <laughs> and it's really exhausting and it's really tiring. But you're going back to this primal nature pattern that we don't 
normally do ever. And then that's what we need to do to get well. Like that would be one of my favorite forms of rehabilitation to tell people. I just want you to get out there and try to climb something. It can be just uh, a fence. It can be up over a damn car. It could be up over your desk. I don't care what it is. But climbing. And, and I don't care how you climb because there's really no wrong way to climb okay. when you're doing that, right? Unless you're like 100 feet off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> but, within reason. Yeah, right? You just, you just, because what happens is it just, you'll find, you'll figure it out. And you'll, you'll, one of the things I like about that is that you, you stop thinking about the fact that you're thinking, like you just do it. Right. And so then you end up moving and you're like, I never knew I could do that. <laughs> so you've talked about um, being a bodybuilder in your early days and clearly that's still, you know, a lot of people's hobbies in different gyms um instagram has also contributed towards that but what how's your training evolved over time wow i mean it's completely changed uh, yeah oh yeah i would just Talk do us through bodybuilding it. i would do bodybuilding most often because for me fitness was just about how good i looked in the mirror honestly or how okay. big my muscles were but i was an injured hot mess all the time my knees hurt my shoulders hurt you know back hurt i mean everything was like that and but I mean, I, I could look fit in a mirror, but I really couldn't move at all. And my first exposure to getting outside of that was I had a guy come to see me as a patient about 10 years ago. His name was Jay Lally. And Jay Lally was a student of some Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he taught a movement, ground-based movement technique from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu taught by Alvaro Ravado called Gymnastica Natural. And Gymnastica Natural was based in like animal-based movements on the ground. And you would mimic how animals move and you would not be off of the ground except to be maybe on your hands and your feet. Okay. And that thing kicked the shit out of me, man. I mean, that thing just tanked me. And I'm like, I had no mobility in my hips. They would not move at all. I was within 15 minutes. I was gasping in the corner. Oh. It was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Because it takes an enormous amount of strength to control your own body mass. Man. Yeah, Especially yeah. when you're close to the ground. I get people that look like, I mean, they should be on a magazine cover and they can't do any of this stuff because I've been there. And I got hooked because it was very humbling. And then I started to just do the movements. And dude, it was hard because you get frustrated and you're like, man, I'm really bad at this. I can't do this. But I just started to feel better. I got really, I hurt in areas that I never knew I had. And I've got, I've had three disc herniations in my lower back. I've got complete disc degeneration on my last three discs. I've got a complete straight back. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I should, need, should not be walking. And I, all, I started to do that stuff. And then I haven't had a lick of back pain in 10 years. I haven't even gotten my lower back adjusted in 10 years. So my chiropractic manipulation. And I do this for a living. So, yeah. and then I went from there and I got hooked 
And then I started to explore other ones. I started to explore Budokan. Budokan is another type of ground-based martial arts by animals. And then I got hooked in with my dear friend, Mike Fitch, who was able to take many of these programs and popularize it through a program called Animal Flow. Yeah, and, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. that kind of that got a little bit more commercial appeal to it. But, you know, then it just became about free-flowing on the ground and I stepped away from doing more uh, load stuff with weight I mean I still do that because once a bodybuilder always a bodybuilder but yeah it became less about the load more about the form I went faster pace then I did a lot more body weight type movement like military type movement calisthenic type movement and then I would mix it with ground-based stuff and then I got into what they call neurodevelopmental patterning, where you go back and you start to move like babies did. And you can start to repattern how you used to move when you were little. And then yeah. I just started to make my own stuff up. So I didn't follow any preset pattern. I would just start to kind of mix and flow and make them together. And I just kind of trusted where my body wanted to go. I didn't think about what I wanted to do next. I just listened to my body. And then that transferred into studying different types of martial arts like Tai Chi and Qigong and all those things. So I started to do uh, more um, internal martial arts that are dealing with you know, really a, attention to movement, intention of movement, breathing, uh, motion, not rushing stuff. And I would mix that with some of the more hardcore martial arts because I'm a very big believer of the variation, variability, and variety that and I like to do a lot of it because I think the brain gets bored really, really fast and the body adapts really, really fast. And then the quicker it adapts, the weaker it gets somewhere else. And then you always want to be challenging your nervous system to learn. So in order for your nervous system and your brain to learn, it needs certain things to be met. So the first thing it needs is it needs novelty. Something needs to be novel for it to be inspired to learn. Otherwise it gets bored because it's just the same old, same old. So that's why if you keep doing the same movement all the time, you're not gonna learn anymore. You have to change something up about it. Then you need challenge. Challenge is another word for intensity. So that means I can make it harder, I can make it easier, I can change the environment that I'm in. So I need novelty, then I need it to be challenging. Then I need whatever I'm doing with that to add movement to it. So movement always has to be involved if you're ever going to ultimately learn anything at all. So movement goes in there, but those three are not enough. In order to lock it in for long-term memory, you have to tap into the part of the brain that is really linked to chronic pain, and that's meaning and emotion. The meaning and emotion has to be involved with, with your movement. So if you do training programs that don't mean something to you, or you do rehab or training that doesn't have some type of um, emotion tied to it or meaning for you, it will not last very long. So those five criteria are absolutely critical for long-term success. And I think that that's one of the things that's really missing in a lifelong movement-based program, not just exercise, because exercise is only one form of movement. That's human being designed exercise. Yeah, Movement is movement. Um, and the other one is rehab. Like if, if you give people these 
really clinical, broken down, uh, you know, they're broken down to too many things and they're, you're over coaching and you're over cueing and there's, they don't understand why they're doing it and there's no meaning and no emotion to it. And those sorts of things are you doing isolated rehab, not full body rehab, you're not going to get the compliance and you're not going to get your long-term results in there because you haven't changed anything in the brain. And if you don't change the brain, you're not changing anything. Well, that's very powerful stuff. I think when you started off with the animal, animal flow and then you talked about the movement among, you know, with babies, how they're naturally very flexible and things just come naturally to them. I mean, it's amazing how every day we sit down on trains, on buses, in our cars, in the office, um, to some extent, even our, our beds. And that period of rest when we're still, we're not doing anything, that affects us so much when we actually move and we try to exercise and stretch our muscles even our joints as we age um it just makes me wonder whether back in the uh, hunter-gatherer periods we we moved better even though today oh, we've got this abundance of information right? out there coaches endless amount of coaches yet back then human beings moved much smooth much more smoothly much you know very swiftly they were nimble um we always carry the right amount of body weight. It's, it's, it's incredible what evolution has done in some cases. Plus you had to move. I mean, you had no choice but to move. Now everything is uh, easy for you. I mean, I don't have to do anything. I just swipe my damn finger and get whatever I want, right? And then, you know, the normal human resting posture for human beings is a deep squat. It's not a chair. So right. through all cultures, you're supposed to pop a deep squat, even into your damn 70s. And bend in your knees, bend in your hips, bend in your ankles, because that's the most efficient way to take a poop, by the way. And yeah. that's you're supposed to rest in that position for hours on end with no problem. And humans can't do that because your tissue adapts to what you ask of it, right? And then the interesting thing about um, damage to the body in relationship to movement is this, you know, they call it tissue deformation, tissue tissue deforms based on the external demand that's applied to it, right? Kind of like yeah. a callus. So it happens from a lack of movement. So when you don't move, then tissue stiffens up, right? Tis tissue tightens and it says, yeah. well, I don't have to go that way. So uh, I'm just going to take it. You don't use it, you lose it. That's what that is. But what many people forget is what we talked about before. It's not just lack of movement. It's doing the same type of movement all the time. You're also going to get tissue deformation so that's why you have to apply variation variability and variety known as the three v's and we usually don't like to do that because we always like to do what we're good at we always like to do what we're comfortable with if you're good at yoga you do yoga all the time if you're good at bodybuilding you do bodybuilding all the time and i tell people if you're really great at yoga then i want you to do bodybuilding if you do bodybuilding then i want you to do yoga Right. And then so you always want to do the opposite of what you're doing in some way, shape or form. That's why one of my greatest fitness heroes of all time who motivated me into bodybuilding was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger knew that Arnold Schwarzenegger used to train and squat and do all of his work in bare feet before anybody knew about doing it. And there's pictures of him practicing ballet. He took ballet for a reason because he knew that that would help him get these lines, the symmetry, it would help him nail his posing and it would get him into positions that he is normally not in. And that's one of the reasons why 
he's the greatest of all time. He kind of innately tapped into that part of um, adding different things into your training program. And to do that, you have to put yourself outside your comfort zone a little bit. You have to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and people don't inherently like that. But I always see, I tell people this, your immune system and your nervous system are the only two systems in your body that have a memory, which means they never, ever forget anything, ever. And then the only way you're ever going to make your immune system stronger is to expose it to a lot of different things and a lot of bad things. Yeah. So you have to catch a cold. I have to get the measles. I have to get flus. If I don't get that stuff, then I'm really uh, open to getting sick because I'm vulnerable. I have a weak immune system. So if all you do is try to move quote unquote perfectly or try to move right, you're going to be worse than somebody who can do that, but then purposely moves quote unquote what people say is wrong. And I don't believe there's such a thing as wrong movement. I only believe there's such a thing as different movement. I see. Because in the real world, say for instance, if you're out in the woods in real nature and you have to go under a, a tree limb, yeah. Or around something. You're not going to stand with the feet shoulder width apart. You're not going to hinge at the hips and keep your back at a 45 degree angle or whatever it is you're trying to cue me on when you go and you go, or you're not going to twist and flex at the lumbar spine or rotate. Yeah, yeah. You're going to do whatever the hell you got to do to get under the damn branch. And then that's what real life is. So when you leave my rehab room and I'm over cueing you and making you perfect in my office, it's not going to hold because as soon as you step out the door, you're going back into real life where you got to go under the damn branch. So what I have to do is prepare you for both. That's so interesting. I never thought of it that way when you said there's no such thing as wrong movement, because now the way you put it, for me, wrong movement is the movement that makes you uncomfortable. And the movement that makes you uncomfortable is the movement that you're going to have to adapt to to become stronger. So exactly. it's going to be it's correct. completely flipped in my mind now. That's amazing. Plus, I want you to think about this. The word that you use when you talk to a person matter. And if I'm trying to get somebody to move better or feel comfortable in their movement, the last thing I want to use is the word wrong. I see. Absolutely. Yeah, or, that makes sense. You know, yeah. or yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to use that word. It's a, these small little things make huge differences uh, subconsciously that, that you pick up on all the time that you really don't even know you're saying. It's like somebody who doesn't believe in themselves or they think they're fat. You hear subtle things that they say all the time where they're completely tearing themselves down that they no longer hear. I see. But you hear. But they do hear. What hears all the damn time is, are their own selves, their own nervous system. And it's always listening to you. Tell me, agree with this. Do you, do you believe that how you think changes how you move? Absolutely. I agree with that, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. how you think changes how you move. So what happens if you think of yourself in that particular way? Right? You're going to influence how you move, but also how you move influences how you think about yourself. Right? It goes both ways. Yeah. So that's why one of the best ways that you can begin to get your quote-unquote confidence back or change your focus in life is to change how you move. Because when you change how you move, you change how you feel about yourself. So how about we change how we move and get out of that you have to do it this particular way or you have to have it this way or it's wrong? 
So for instance, when I put somebody in through a, a corrective exercise, they, uh, they may very, let's say this, let's say you are on all fours, your hands are on the ground, your knees are on the ground and your toes are on the ground. That's what they call a quadruped position. You've got six points of stabilization, two hands, two knees, two feet. Okay. And then I would do something where I'm going to have you do what's called a cat camel, where you round your back, you flatten your back, or then you do say you braise one arm out in front of you on one leg out behind you. It's called a bird dog. And then that's something where you're trying to retrain the body. And then I'm going to cue you on keeping your, what they call your pelvic tilt. That's how your pelvis tilts. It can either go anterior or posterior or what they call a neutral, somewhere in between. You would know that is standing up and flattening your back or rounding your back. That's what it would be like. And then they, they try to get you in this perfect position where your spine is neutral. And I tell people, there's no such thing as a neutral spine. Yeah. It never stays neutral. It goes all over the place. So what I do is I actually have you do one with where you think neutral is, right? And then I'm going to put you into a position where I think neutral is. You'll do both. And then I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to say, listen, I want you to round your lower back and put yourself in the most extreme end range that you can get to where you sink your lower back. And then now I want you to put your arm and your leg out that way. And then I want you to come back and then I want you to flatten that back. So you'll take it at the complete opposite end of where you were, a complete 180. And I want you to do it that way and notice how that feels. And I tell them every single one of those movements was okay. I see. And then I have, I have them do the one that they feel most comfortable with first because I need them to feel comfortable with the movement, whether we consider it right or wrong. It's very important for you to understand something. To your brain, there is no right or wrong. There's only utility. There's only usefulness. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just useful. We put the context of right and wrong. The brain does it because it's useful. Otherwise, it wouldn't do it. So I, I have them get into the position that they want to be in because they relax and they're much more comfortable. Then I explore the end ranges from there. So they choose the starting point and then we work from there and I see which one they, I say now, this is where you start. I want you to choose. Do you want to go? I'll say arbitrary. Do you want to go up or do you want to go down? I'll let them choose, right? They choose. That means I want it to go from where they want to start with. Do they want to go further up? Yeah. But further. Hello, Perry. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I just want to sorry. touch back on that last bit. I can yeah. edit it later. Don't worry. Yeah, so then I'll say, okay, I want you to go, you start where you want to and do the movement. Yeah. And then I'm going to say, I want you to go to an extreme up or down or left or right. You know, one way I'm going to tell them which way that they can choose from. I see. Uh, let's say before I would say, okay, round your back or flatten your back. I would give them choice, right? Okay. That's important because what happens is I know one thing. Let's say I give them the option that they can flatten their back or round their back. Let's say they want to go and they round their back. The most important thing I get from that is I know they don't want to flatten. 
Okay. So now I know where they don't want to go. So you're looking for that's the signals. The range, I see. That's the range I need to explore because it's going to be different for everybody. I can give somebody else the same damn instructions and they're going to flatten it. The other one will say, I don't want to round it. So what happens is I meet them where they are and then I take them where I want them to explore. But they're the ones that choose it. So that also puts them into a state of where um, they are more empowered, right? Interesting, they have, yeah. They have, it's, they're more in the driver's seat when they do that, right? Yeah. And that's really, really important to uh, understand that for people because they, they need to have some empowerment because you need for people to feel like they can take care of themselves when they leave you because sometimes they have so much fear associated with moving or so much fear of moving wrong if someone's not there to show them the right way to do it. And that's not my job. My job is to empower them so they feel they can do it on their own and not feel scared if they're quote unquote doing it wrong because that gets set in their brain that they're expecting to get hurt because they're moving, they're not moving right. I hate that word, right or wrong. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. And I wanna revisit that statement I made again because it's a really important concept in neuroscience that we, we have to stop putting these markers on what's right and what's wrong in relationship to movement or pain because first of all, that's cultural. Yeah, and it's tribal and community because what's right for you can be completely wrong in another where you go to. So it's Absolutely. arbitrary. Yeah, there is no right or wrong to the brain. There is only utility. It never ever does anything that it doesn't feel is useful in the moment. Whether it looks like it's right or wrong to you is completely irrelevant. Irrelevant. You have to take yourself out of that. You have to ask. Why is the brain doing that? First of all, it's useful. What's the number one thing that your brain wants to ensure every day? One, that you're not dead. That's it. Don't die and then don't get hurt. That's the main goal. Yeah. So whatever is happening in that person's body, your brain is trying to accomplish that. The most efficient way that it's able to with the tools that it has, the environment that it has, or what you've given it to work with. And that's everything from how you eat, from how you think, from how you sleep, from how you drink, from all those different things come into play. So it's not just a matter of, hey, you've got your low back 15 degrees off center and that's why your knee hurts. Wrong. It's way, way more than that that you need to look at. And you're only going to get that answer when you take a look at the individual human being that's standing in front of you and you go back in their life history to get their entire perception of how they look at themselves and the world. It's very interesting. You use the word utility and then utility comes from usefulness. And then before you mentioned very clearly that usefulness is based on what we've adapted to. So what we adapt to is basically what our brain tells us is is going to be useful and i think that's very powerful because it again reiterates the importance between neuroscience the way we think and how that impacts what we do physically in our movements um so yes yeah, that's, that's very powerful um, i want to come back to the arnold schwarzenegger thing because 
you mentioned he trained barefoot. I didn't know that. And I've actually been experimenting with barefoot training. I actually go to the gym quite a lot. I do a lot of sports, um, swimming. Um, I like to challenge myself. And I just recently, I've just started training barefoot and I've just preferred it. Um, I started following the, the Urban Barefoot. Um, I had a chat yeah. with him as well mm-hmm. over Zoom, uh, how he, he ran a very long distance. So I can't remember the exact amount. Uh, he ran it barefoot. And I was listening to a podcast on London Real the other day and it talked about a guy who did some ultra marathon, you know, some incredible distance barefoot in, in the UK. And I just thought, well, this is becoming quite trendy, quite popular. There must be a reason behind it. And I tried it and I enjoyed it. I wanted to know what your thoughts were and what, what the exact impact is, the science behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly not an expert on the foot. There's many okay. people who know a lot more about that, but I can tell you this much though. I mean, mm-hmm. I, um, I mean, I love when people do stuff with bare feet, but you have to work into it slow. So yeah. when people hear, uh, you need to, you know, uh, run with bare feet. First of all, you never start running with bare feet. If you've always been running with shoes, I mean, okay. that's just dumb. Yeah, you yeah. gotta work your way. You gotta work your way into it. But people don't do that. They go from zero to a thousand miles an hour. No, no, no. I'm uh, talking about just jump rope so, training, barefoot or squatting. Yeah. Like you so said, yeah. you know, it's great, but you have to work in really, really slow to it because most people have very sensitive feet because they're wrapped up in foot coffins all day long, which are shoes. And you know, the brain, the the brain uses sensory input from the environment, external and internal, to uh, give it information on how it should move. So a phrase for that is sensory drives motor. Sensory okay. input drives motor output, which is movement. You're only going to move as well as you can feel. And I've changed that up to say you're only going to move as different as you can feel. So it's not just feeling stuff because you can feel too much stuff. Yeah. You ha- and that's overload. So you yeah. have to feel different things. You got to be able to feel different things. Um, and if you, your feet are a massive input for sensory information, they represent a huge amount of surface area on your brain that your brain uses to determine where it is in the environment, that's called proprioception. And once it knows where, it's, it, where it is in space and time, it can better predict what it wants to do next because it's got enough information coming in to make a decision. If you wear shoes all the time, you lose that capability and you disconnect your foot from your muscles in your lower back, which definitely makes you much more prone to getting injured because the muscles in the back become weak when they can't talk to the foot. So okay. you, you absolutely have to do that, but you start off slow. I have people start to walk on grass, they stand in sand, they stand on what they call, uh, they stand on different size rocks, they have rock mats, they have rock boxes where you take a box and fill it full of different rocks um, and things like that. And you expose it to different sensory input also from temperature and vibration and uh, all sorts of different things like that. And it can be, you can get a smarter foot and a wider foot when you do that. And it's been shown that when you can get better feet, you can significantly reduce the incidence and the amount of lower back pain that you get uh, from there, Wow, which is a good thing, which is a great thing. And I mean, that's easy to find. You just type in barefoot and lower back. You find it on the internet with the articles and research all over the place. And then... um, so the more you do that, the better. But it's interesting when people take their shoes off, they feel very vulnerable because they feel kind of naked in a way because they're not used to having their 
uh, shoes off. And yeah. I always tell people this, if you want to learn to move, uh, quote unquote, better, or not the word better, let's say this. Let's say if you want to move and start paying more attention to how you move, which means you're actually giving intention to your next movement based on the attention that you're giving to yourself and the environment. The number one way to improve how much attention you give to movement is to take your shoes off. Because I when agree you take that. your shoes off, you always have to look and watch your next step because you never know what you're going to hit. When you have shoes on, you can step on anything and not worry about it bothering you. So, and you'll also activate the muscles in the back and your lower back and everywhere because you're going to slow your movement down. You don't know what you're going to hit next. Yeah. So that's a really easy way to start to pay more attention to how you move and then giving more intention and attention to movement is one of the best ways that you can get in better contact with your body and also significantly reduce overall pain because you're paying attention to your body more. I definitely agree with that. And I play a lot of football. I think you guys call it soccer, um, but that's a different debate. <laughs> I started huh. doing the uh, barefoot training and I did a lot of ladder work in the gym. So I'd put a ladder on the floor and I do quick steps in and out. Suddenly when I took my shoes off, it turned into a different ball game. I was, I was doing it a lot. I don't know, a lot more differently. And generally in my, in my football, it's, it's built on strength and speed. I've got, I've got quite a, you know, a bit of a wide constitution. I'm um, about five foot 10 and speed has always been like a big thing for me. I was, you know, that, that I had to make sure that was important because to cover long distances, et cetera, in a short space of time on, on the wings, whatever. But then when I took my shoes off and started training that way, I felt that I was more agile and suddenly I added something else to my inventory, to my, well, to my arsenal, if you like, um, because now I can use that on and off the ball. Um, yeah. It's like a secret weapon, right? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it's almost like in my knees, I don't know. I don't know much about the, um, the muscles and the tendons and different names, but suddenly I feel like when I move, I don't know, I, I kind of react quicker or my, my legs spring a bit more because I'm, I'm, turning my body in a different way and i think that's directly linked to training without shoes and hopefully i can work on some more stuff maybe my jumping my vertical jump is a big weakness of mine so that's something i'm going to try yeah. and work on yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. it's hugely important yeah so uh same thing with doing different stuff with your hands right and, then, yeah. and getting different input there and not only the bottom of your foot i tell people don't neglect the top of your foot either mm. I want to talk a bit more about, um, you know, the different people you collaborate with and who we should watch out for in this space, because I think there's always, there's always many people that are on the brink of these amazing discoveries. And I think you're, you know, a good example of someone that likes to get around and collaborate and, and bounce ideas of other people. You've mentioned a few mentors in the past. Is there anyone currently that we should keep an eye out for? Hmm. Well, God, that's a good question. Well, you know, I try to learn. Well, I learn from, see the thing with me is I learn from all different types of disciplines, not just in the ones in uh, healthcare. I try to learn from almost anything you could think of because you never know what you're going to come across to. Absolutely. To help you see things in a little bit of a different way, right? Or Maybe you'll see something uh, again that you've seen before, but 
because of how it's delivered by a, a different person, it may resonate with you a little bit better yeah. than it did before. Because hopefully, you're gonna be you're gonna be a different person the time you hear something again that you heard the first time. <laughs> So we take a lot of that stuff for granted that, you know, I already know this stuff. I don't need to worry about that. Right. Uh, so, but um, yeah, I, I really don't have any, I mean, I have a list on my, my people ask me all the time, do you have books that you recommend? I mean, I put a blog post up a while ago that listed you know, 10 of my favorite resources that I can end up learning from and stuff like that. And I, I think that right now I'm into looking at the role of, that stress overall in and of itself plays in uh, chronic pain and autoimmune because uh, I think that stress is a word that we just sort of brush off as, you know, ah, we know it, but we don't really take it seriously. But I think that we're going to find out that if you don't find ways to decrease your overall stress, in, yeah. in your life that it, it's going to come around to get you and you, you really won't be getting that so much in the medical field so i've been studying a lot of uh, psychology i see and to be able to see if, uh tell about how someone's perceptions of the world drive their stress response so um you always encourage people that you that you should read the book on stress by by the guy who coined the term stress, you know, his name is, Han, his name is Hans Selye. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's S-E-Y-L-E. Uh, Hans Selye has a book on stress and the dude created the name stress. And he's got a lot of great things in there. Uh, I love to go back to the old classics of books because they have a unique way of looking at the body that integrates a lot of different thought processes together and because yeah. i think what what i dislike about current things when i see in medicine as healthcare is they go too detailed and i know that sounds crazy but what happens is when you can take something down to the most minute part and look at it under a microscope, you actually understand it less because you have, you're taking away its relationships with everything else that it had to work with to get to that microscope. So we, that's Newtonian physics, Newtonian things where you break stuff down and you like parts and then A equals B. But in the in the world of healthcare and medicine, it's actually not Newtonian. It's more quantum physics, where stuff vibrates with each other, connects with each other, and energy between cells and nerves and tissue, and it's all atoms that you know. When yeah. you look at quantum physics, there's just stuff that you ain't ever going to be able to figure out, man. And it's just the way that it is. And until we start thinking for more of a quantum physics viewpoint and not the Newtonian one, because in my opinion, it's an overall failed model of approach to modern healthcare because we have more information now than ever before, more technology than ever before, and we have more people that are sicker than ever before, and we're the least healthy we've ever been 
and the entire history of our world overall as a society. We're going the opposite way. Yeah. I definitely think there's a lot of powerful stuff there that um, you've, you've touched on, especially with the, with the stress and anxiety. Um, I'm looking to talk to a lot more people on this podcast about uh, mental health. Uh, we just had mental health here recently in the UK, a mental health week. And yeah, I think it's a very relevant subject, especially with social media uh, booming at the moment. Uh, it's, it's creating a lot of, you know, it's, it's got mental touch points whereby you know, it strengthens some people in some cases, but weakens them in others, uh, especially with confidence and self-esteem. So we, we are aiming to kind of create more content on that. But um, yeah, don't even get me started on what happens from your ability to even access that. You're dealing with EMFs, you're dealing with 4G and 5G and multiple, um, yeah, yeah. you know, um, Wi-Fi things you can choose from and all that stuff is not just going through walls, man. That stuff's going through you and your cells and it's causing a hot mess in uh, everything. So trust me, dude, if you tap into your phone and you can pick from 15 different Wi-Fi channels to pop into, you're, you're getting screwed in your cellular matrix. And then I don't think we wrapped our brain around how much that's going to affect us in the long run. Mm. Um, <laughs> you combine yeah. that stuff with the absolute atrocious food intake of the world and uh, packaged food and depleted soils and all that stuff and we're on a fast track of some misery man do you think we're going to make it? do you think? no uh, no? no good friend of mine I had on my podcast Dr. Zach Bush says we got 70 years left if we don't change something up 70 years is what we got wow and I better you look around, you know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> something's got to change for sure. And unfortunately human beings don't like change. And then things, uh, the way you look at it now are, uh, easier than ever before. There's going to have to be some hard choices made and it's just going to be interesting to see if that, um, goes that way. But, uh, you asked my, uh, truthful opinion and it's no yeah not unless something changes well you've um you've definitely read a lot i met a lot of people you've been around much longer than i have to know from where we've come from and to where we are now and i think um maybe it's yeah, a healthy mindset this, yeah look at the short amount of time frame that everything's become a shit show yeah the last 50 years compared think, to how many thousands we've been going I, th I think from a growth perspective, maybe that is a healthy mentality to have because then maybe that will force change, that will force improvement. There'll be a self-correction process. Who knows? But, well, um, people never change when they're comfortable. Mm. They, only, they only change through discomfort, right? And then usually suffering is what motivates you. Comfort yeah. doesn't motivate you. Suffering does. That's why people usually only make some kind of change after they've been uh, sick. That's usually when you've been sick and you've suffered a lot and you come out of the other side. I've never, everybody I've had conversations with who's been really, really sick, me being one from surviving cancer and surviving an autoimmune disease and what people have been through those sorts of things. Every single one of them is, would not uh, change what happened to them because it brought them to a point of strength and then seeing themselves and seeing the world uh, that they never would have seen before if they didn't go through what happened to them, right? And then 
that usually only happens to you sometimes through no choice of your own you're you're pushed off the cliff you might say yeah right? but you can become that's how resilience is born and that's what stress is stress is not bad incessant stress is bad where you don't get a break from it but you only become stronger when you get stressed i mean that's that's classic that's how you make steel by stressing yeah. it and same thing with what we need to do uh, as well you just yeah. got to be you got to be smart about it, right? Not mm. overload and too much stress so that you uh, break yourself. I, th I think you've broken it down very well, especially earlier on when you talked about overload. Um, you know, we grow through time under load. That's how we exercise. That's how we train. And then the overload is where we kind of cross that boundary into injury territory. Um and actually, I yeah. think this brings us on to like um, a few of the questions that I like to ask our guests, you know, towards the end. Um, what, what, if I was to ask, you know, your closest friend or someone very close to you, what your greatest strength is, what, what do you think they would say? Huh. That's it. I, I probably would be that I'm um, open-minded, that I definitely don't have a closed mind. Um, mm. I'm an avid learner and yeah. uh I, I will not hesitate to change my opinion on something um, if i see something that resonates with me and uh i'm not afraid to be challenged on, on something yeah uh, like that but i think that definitely shines through when we talked about you being a lawyer or practicing to be a lawyer and then change yeah. it completely and then look at where you are now. I mean, still always challenging and I, yourself. I, and I try to be a man because I don't see that many people are so closed off these days on things. They get very possessive of a certain view, excuse me, uh, a viewpoint or approach to things. And then that's where learning stops. You can't be that way. If I was to ask you what scares you the most, you've talked about different diseases. You've talked about um, autoimmune. You've talked about the cancers. You've talked about injuries. You've talked about humanity. Uh, what scares you the most? The, that we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over and expect some different results to happen. That classic line. That, uh, the, the definition yeah. of, an, of insanity. Yeah, yeah, that scares me that I don't, I don't think that uh, yeah. we've got the strength right now to, to change. I hope that that does change, honestly. If I was to ask you what your best day in your memory was, you know, in your whole life, what was the best day? Uh, well, I've had two of them. There were the days that my son, there were the day my sons were born. Twins? No. Oh, they're different two days. Different ones. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And uh, are you teaching them the the ways of movement or yeah for yeah. sure you know i mean uh as much as i can right and, yeah. and i think that that's a big part of it when it's like when when they can see their own father doing it who's 53 <laughs> <laughs> that you know i mean i can get on the ground and move pretty damn well uh you know they want to get down there and do it too yeah <laughs> so i think yeah. that's the best form of leadership do as i do um yeah by example absolutely i mean that is very very important like i never i never teach anything that i don't do 
for myself first or do to another person first. I mean, I think that's just being uh, truly authentic and being uh, real yeah. when you do that. And I think, I think people can spot that pretty fast if you're not. I know you mentioned that you were kind of in your mid-20s when you um, you know, started your career as a chiropractor and then it took much longer to get into you know, the direction that you're going towards now. But I think somewhere out there, there's an 18-year-old Perry. What, what kind of advice would you give him? Oh, um, don't be afraid to go after what you want because you're worried about what other people will think. Um, at that age in my life, I would not do things because I was worried about what other people would think about me or my choices. And that kept me from doing a lot of things. I wasn't able to live up to my true self. And I would, I could go back in my life and at 18 and say, you just go for it. You, you be who you are and be unapologetically you. Yeah. I mean, I would, that advice I would give to anyone, but I wish I got it at 18, brother. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, I think um, in many cases that the aspect of being lost, what you talked about being lost was, you know, part of an incredible journey because finding your own way, I think that's the most powerful form of Google maps, you know? <laughs> yeah. Clear, and you can't, that. you can't do that if you have fear of judgment of uh, other people, you're, you're, uh, you're pretty much living under another person's leave, you know, Perry, their thoughts. Perry, I've got five words here um, that we've touched on throughout the interview, throughout the discussion, rather. Uh, and I'm going to do like a little word association. So I'll say a word. Like a um, test. Oh, boy. No, like a, I'll say a word and then you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. It doesn't yeah. matter how fast I say the word. <laughs> no, no, just, just one word or maybe two words, whatever you think's right. Just, just go with your feeling. Oh, okay. You know? So it's like a Rorschach test, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to see the dots up top of mind. Yeah. So gotcha. novelty brain work success movement joy challenge life weakness humanity perry i'd like to thank you so much for this conversation it's taught me so much um i think once we publish it once we put some nice editing music behind it it's it's really going to be something that i think people will learn from as well um i think you've been on an incredible journey and what you're sharing with the world is you know don't take it for granted don't underestimate it i think it's had a big impact on many people and it's injected life into a new way of thinking especially when it comes to movements and health well thank you i really appreciate that and i had a great time on the show you're one hell of a good interviewer too <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot thanks a lot um it's all about improvements in on our side i know we're only a few episodes in but um yeah we'd love to have you on again maybe if you're in london we can uh i know you've been busy with different talks and lectures but we can organize it next time get a proper camera crew and uh sit down somewhere and maybe even go through some exercises hell that sounds great yeah well i'm yeah. always coming back to london three or four times a year so you can definitely count on that i appreciate you having me on for one of the early episodes it means a lot 
Thanks a lot, Perry. Um, I look forward to seeing your growth and your future successes. And until next time, have yeah, a safe journey Same back for to you. America. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it, honestly. You bet. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.